Okay, hello, welcome back everyone. This is End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... I'm Candice Lepage. And Candice, uh, I mean, we took a two-week break, but then Candice has been like on a six-week break, so uh, this is like a double comeback, if not a triple comeback. God, has and, it and been the- that long? I don't know. I did it just, you know, stuff. I, I guess the, the, it was like July, right? When yeah. it was last on? The last times, week of July or something? T- time's a flat circle. It's it's yeah. all, yeah, whatever. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I am uh, excited to see the end of summer, which I know nobody else is excited <laughs> about, but I am. So I'm just going to put it out there for those of us who feel the way I do. I see you. I feel you. I'm so glad summer is almost over. It's been, you know, it's been, weather hasn't been too bad lately. It's been nice. It's been rainy some days, but... Yeah, yeah, it's not even just the weather either. It's the whole summer vibes thing. I'm just, I'm just not for it. I've been on my 100 horror movies in 92 days uh, project yeah. since the 1st of August, so... Okay. <clears throat> definitely ready to, uh, ready to, to turn over the season from terrible summer to awesome fall all right that's again this is a movie show um and credits is a local movie show <laughs> for local movie fans we're here every wednesday at 3 p.m to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies which this week will be the new sci-fi comedy mystery they cloned tyrone which you can now stream on the netflix that is going to be in the back half of the show. For the first half, we are going to celebrate somebody's 25th birthday. Uh, obviously, neither of the hosts. Uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, but Blade, uh, last week, it was uh, 25 years since the movie Blade was released. Um, one of those movies that, you know, the drop at the end of August. I I, I don't know why. It seemed to, I, Although... In reviewing sort of the the Blade lore, if you will, uh, there were apparently a lot of reshoots, including and a, a, you know they reshot the ending, which I did know about. Um, so th- there was, I guess, some concern about whether or not it was going to be a hit, but it was a hit, and it inadvertently kicked off uh, this whole era of comic book movies. I mean, a lot of people put the blame on that first X Men movie in two thousand or Spider Man in two thousand two, but I think. Uh, it's more precise to say that, you know, Blade sort of kicked things off coming out a year after Batman and Robin and Steel. You know, here you had a combo character that people were taking seriously. And it wasn't like here's the thing about Blade is uh, it wasn't a straight adaptation. Blade, when he was introduced in the 1970s, was like a dude. He was in good athletic shape and he had uh, a hate uh, on against vampires, but he was just a dude. And uh Along comes David S. Goyer, who writes the script and turns uh, Blade into the Daywalker, uh, part vampire, part human, uh, all of their strengths, none of their weaknesses, as is a literal line in the film. And away we go. And so um, for all these reasons and more, and also just because, you know, it's a great kickboxing vampire action movie, um, we're going to talk about Blade. So, Candace, why don't you why don't you talk a bit about blade and and what blade means to you both personally and professionally (laughs) (laughs) well professionally no um yeah i mean blade it's funny i rewatched it yesterday morning and 
as I'm watching it, I was sort of like, really? It's been 25 years since this came out. It feels, the film felt, you know, I sort of think of it now as sort of a turning point of mm. of how films, what films were going to be in this sort of new century of ours. Because um, it, for a comic book movie, it mm-hmm. took itself very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, like, Tim Burton's Batman kind of took itself seriously, but then also had Jack Nicholson, like, hamming it up as Joker. Um, <laughs> and so it still was, um, there's still sort of a, a delineation there that, like, this is a different world that Batman is living in that's a little bit different from ours. Whereas Blade really came out in a, at a place where, it looked and felt just like the world that we were in right now. And it's just like, oh, there could just be, you know, vampires just out in the world with us living in this modern time, doing these modern things and just being like badass action heroes also. (laughs) Um, And it's funny. I sort of, as I'm watching it, every, every sort of set piece like big that especially ones that i remember i'm like oh you know what blade walked so that neo could fly <laughs> because the matrix wow. i think like the matrix i think is one of those things where people will say the matrix was one of those like cinema changing films mm. um but well, they did, so they did much... include it in the uh montage at the end of babylon <laughs> there you go see i didn't see that's babylon how, but... that's how you know that's how you know <laughs> definitively there we go <laughs> but yeah so i i really think that like a lot of the the aesthetic look of the matrix came from blade mm-hmm. um but just came out you know just a year before it but the the like techno soundtrack the mm-hmm. bloodbath rave mm-hmm. um you know the the fight scene towards the end it's it was very very reminiscent and it's just like I just feel like the movie, this was a movie that was just a little bit ahead of its time, like telling everybody what movies were going to be like in the 21st century rather than <laughs> what they had been like in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, I think that's all correct. I, you know, it it is also, uh, it changed the game a little because you, there, the, there's also like lesser movies that, you know, you can draw a line from that from them to Blade, like Underworld, for example. You don't get Underworld without Blade. Um, mm-hmm. I think those Resident Evil movies too, to a certain extent. Like, there's this kind of like mishmash of uh, this modernist aesthetic with like these classical monsters, whether that's like vampires or werewolves or zombies or things. Um, this idea that just under the surface, there's this. In- entirely different other world where ancient things are um sort of still there still dominant in a way and um blade does that in like really interesting ways it's you know you know you see there's a scene and it's very very quick it's you know blades driving around town and it drives past a corner and then you see like a vampire feeding on a person and it's like well it's kind of they're blinking an eye and you miss it and i i think that's that that's what like adds this kind of like really 
interesting quality to this that you know you have police officers who are marked and work for v- certain vampires and um th- these the, the, the whole idea of these familiars which it, you know is also lifted directly from dracula but um it's not just that you know they're crawling along the floor eating bugs while not serving vampires they they have like actual <laughs> functions out in the world as you know uh spies or delivery people or uh, politicians or, or or whatever so th- there's a lot going on um in terms of just like how the world is set up to um there's also i mean the blade himself batman obviously still being a very big influence like, like blade has very clearly been like batmanized <laughs> where he's like he's got the long coat he's got the gadgets he's got a blade mobile um he's got an alfred um <laughs> so i mean the, the the concept of whistler which was created for this movie the, the again in uh you know chris christopherson is great casting in this too this you know very i mean obviously with his country western background brings this very like kind of authentic like old gunslinger mold to it you know he's seen some stuff he's been out in the world he's world weary um but that was created for this movie what's interesting um, it was such a great idea that David S. Goyer had like written a script years before this went in produ- into production, and then they inserted Whistler into the Blade episode of Spider Man, uh, the mm-hmm. animated series. So, um, it, it's this weird thing. It's like, did they borrow that from the animated series? No, the animated series took it from a, a unproduced Blade script. It's kind of weird, just how how deep the the influence goes all all over the place. Yeah, yeah, and I think even um, the like, because in comic book lore now, Deacon Frost and Blade's mother, like all of that, was sort of retconned into Blade's yeah. yep. comic book um, history, which was yep. all sort of from this movie too. Um, yeah, and it's I mean, understandably, because it's really it's really great. It's interesting storytelling that really gives the character of Blade that that sympathetic thing for us, hmm. the viewer, to to watch, right? Mm-hmm. Um I want to talk about Deacon Frost a little bit. Yes, please. Um so I think everybody <laughs> oh. agrees that this is the sort of the the part where Blade the movie does not deliver um, everything else that Blade the movie is trying to deliver, unfortunately, <laughs> with Deacon Frost. And it's just, it's so bad. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not so bad that like Deacon Frost and all that. It's just, it's so, it's, it's too bad that that is what happened because I, I get, I get the idea. I totally understand the, um, the villain they created is supposed to be like new world versus old world. Mm. Um, and then they tried to make him sort of like a young punk type I- idea. Mm. I don't, I can understand why they cast Stephen Dorff yeah. uh, as Deacon Frost, particularly at that time. <clears throat> yeah. Stephen Dorff was very famous for being Stephen Dorff. Yeah. He was sort of part of that <laughs> group of young Hollywood um, boys who were, out partying all the time and yeah so, but a nickname we can't say on the radio <laughs> yeah 
Um, But yeah, so Mm -hmm. I understand why they cast him and I understand what they were trying to do with the role. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that Stephen Dorff is not a good actor, Um, Mm -hmm. but, but it just, it didn't work. And I don't, I don't know where it fell down. And I think, I mean, when you put Stephen Dorff against Udo Kier, I'm sorry, Udo Kier is going to win every time. Yes. When you put Stephen Dorff against Donald Logue, Donald Logue is also going to win every time. (laughs) And so I think part of that is that they've, they've put this guy who's supposed to be in charge against these character actors who are so much better at acting than Stephen Dorff. (laughs) (laughs) And like I said, not that I'm saying that Stephen Dorff is not a good actor, but he was also still very new. Like he, what he, you know, now, uh, maybe he would give a very different performance. It wouldn't really be the same role either, but you know, he was still young and inexperienced and he's Mm. acting against these character actors who are so good. And (laughs) it just, I, I, and I think part of the problem is that he was being directed to be sort of like, be petulant, Mm -hmm. be, be the young, like upstart that nobody likes. So I think that he probably delivered what was being asked for. But it just didn't work. It was the one thing in the movie that didn't work. Yeah, it's I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure because I think I think because I think he is doing exactly what was asked of him. It's interesting because I I seem to remember him getting like co billing with Wesley Snipes in the mm. in like the the ads and things. Um, so he was like an ascendant. I think there was there was this idea that he was like the next big thing um, that didn't really end up working out like he had been in like i shot andy warhol by this point and you know he he was you know collecting credits um but yeah udo kier um <laughs> it's just you know there's there's so many great lines when he's like you'll never be a pure blood frost it's just you know <laughs> his delivery um this like he's it is like the avant-garde meets the you know the old world and you know they're worried about um I, I guess this is kind of where some of the you know the outside influences come in, like the vampire, the masquerade is you know essentially there is a masquerade going on. Um, they're covering up their existence and uh, while controlling you know positions of power and high finance and worried about their overseas accounts. And Deacon Frost isn't worried about any of that. And there's this whole caste and class system with who's a pure blood and who's been made a vampire. So. Uh, it, it kind of works for me. I, I, I although I, I, I do agree. Stephen Dorff is grossly outgunned, but it, the, he's got this kind of like fanboyism too. Um, mm. you, you know, he's like, I know everything about you, Blaine. I know about like the secret button on your sword, and um, there's this, I, you know, whole idea that he's. You know, he he really wants to kind of like team up with Blaine, and there's this whole, and it's kind of run through the the whole series too that vampires are trying to like what what blade has become by accident vampires want to become so there's this whole fanboyism about blade it's nice to finally meet you man had my eye on you for years i know all about you your serum whistler everything sunblock hey it's a start right the goal of course is to be like you daywalker you got the best of both worlds, don't you? All our strengths, none of our weaknesses. The 
maybe I don't see it that way. Well, um, and part of it too, though, with the um, you know uh, Deacon wanting to to partner up with him, <clears throat> is that in a lot of ways he is his father. Yes. Right. Like there is. So I can understand why he's like, wow, I, you know, through some weird twist of fate, I ended up making this daywalker. Which is, it, it's why honestly, does he get all these extra things that I don't get? Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's something I, I like. I kind of didn't enjoy in in this rewatch for some reason. This, like, it, it's a little too charming by half that. You know, Deacon Frost is the vampire who bit Blade's mother and inadvertently made Blade. It's, it's, you know, it, this was kind of like a, a recurring thing in the eighties and nineties where it's, it's not just enough that you know Batman goes out and fights crime and that's his revenge for the murder of his parents. The Joker literally had to murder his parents, yeah, so that he could get like actual real revenge. Um, I, I that's. That's kind of like a. I, I have the same kind of feeling here that you know it's just like of course Deacon Frost had to make Blade like you made me I made you first kind of thing and it's I mean that that's kind of that's like a bugaboo I had but I hear you yeah uh, um, sorry go ahead do did we find out does Deacon have anything to do with Whistler's family having died or is it just was that just <laughs> like a a group of vampires could have been anyone <laughs> i think no i think that's that's one of those uh coincidences uh we don't we don't really get any more background than that but you know i, I i'm fine with that and I, what's weird too is and this gets into sort of where comic movies are now is that there is i mean even knowing whistler comes back in the next film there is still like real weight and consequence too whistler mm -hmm. being killed in that and that's something i don't think you would get in a in a comic movie like to, to kill the number two you can't kill the number two anymore i mean unless it's like preordained like bucky and in, in the first oh, who also comes back but yeah <laughs> and that's the other problem is that they always come back mm -hmm. um and in some ways you know blade even started that you know because it was yeah. it was bold to kill off whistler but you know, then then the 2000s happened and people yeah. just love characters so much they want them back no matter what. Well, I think there was a, a sort of narrative reason for doing that in Blade 2, which is about um, Blade having to team up with a group of vampires to take on an even like more terrible group of creatures. Um, because, you know, be, and because, you know, Blade is surrounded by people he can't trust, he, you need someone he can kind of rely on and so that that made that made a certain amount of sense but then they killed whistler again and played trinity it's like you know he's, he's a bit like kenny from south park in that regard um so i mean going not that i not to say that i've gone back and we watched blade, blade, trinity, blade trinity lately but I, I do remember that sort of being somewhat um I, I guess muted the second time. Watching Whistler die the second time was uh, a bit muted. <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, either he'll come back again or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Let's be done. The other thing, too, and this has to do with sort of like Christofferson and, and Snipes. Um, it also has to do with like the trends in, in combo movies now where it's like they're constantly jokey, where it's like quip, 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 quip. Um, 
there is moments of humor in this. I, I think people remember, you know, Wesley Snipes staring blankly in the last Blade movie he did, and 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 don't think of these films as like funny. Mm-hmm. But there are like genuinely funny lines. Yes, <laughs> with the, when he Whistler takes out the UV light and Blade says it's <laughs> you know it's still too heavy and Whistler says well you're so big it's you know it's a genuine laugh line. <laughs> yep, yep. I literally have that one written down here <laughs> in mine also. <laughs> Just the way he delivers it. But you're so big. Yeah. (laughs) And then, interestingly, of course, he just hands it to Karen, the nurse, and she carries it just fine. So I don't understand how heavy it was. (laughs) Well, no, she's a hematologist. She's not a nurse. She's a a legit doctor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's actually a lady doctor. And we haven't mentioned in Bushy Wright, um, I, you know, speaking of people sort of like outgunned in this, I, I think she 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 acquits herself fine. As I, I guess it's like essentially the audience surrogate. Um, but, uh, you know, she, she does kind of feel a little outgunned in all this vampire craziness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, she's also just there mm-hmm. to, you know, to be blood for Blade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and but, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. I it, It's interesting to watch that scene at the end where um, Frost becomes La Magra or whatever. Um, and, it you know, it's paired with Blade feeding on Karen to get his strength back um, The to have these two like sort of becoming scenes back to back where, you know, Blade becomes sort of a true vampire, maybe for the first time. You know, feeding on a human and 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 you know all that comes with that. While Frost becomes this other thing, this blood god or or whatever, which was supposed to be a again in in the deleted um, ending was supposed to be like a blood tornado or something. And uh, it instead it ends with this sword fight, which is great. It's um, mm-hmm. I think that's another uh, another check mark in in this column as compared to other more recent things where it's it's a tactile fight it's two yes. guys fighting in a set um and like yeah there's effects and yeah there's some computery stuff near the end but it's it feels real it, you know you can you can feel the crunches there there are stakes people are hit, people are using real swords in in a real scene yeah they're actually like stunt performers there it's not just all yeah. against green screen it's yeah. not just uh yeah people flying and shooting their arms at each other <laughs> and then from their arms eventually a cgi laser will come out yeah yeah um or they turn into like a cg gleep glob and <laughs> you know they to power and if it, it's it's one of those things i i think there would have been an expectation. I think the reason why they were doing the whole like blood tornado or whatever Lamaga was supposed to be was like it's it's a comic book movie. There has to be this big thing at the end, and it they for whatever reason like effects wise or budget wise they just couldn't make it work. So they they instead do this other thing where it's it's two guys fighting. And- yeah, but I think that's also like that's a little bit about the time, right? Like yeah. while Blade was really forward looking with the way that movies were going to be made, it was mm. still. You know, the the last half of the century when people were still, you know, there were still Westerns coming out. Not a lot of them, but, you know, and like. Well, it's it's interesting you should say that because, you know, the other vampire movie we get in 1998, the other big vampire movie we get is John Carpenter's Vampires, which is like the closest thing 
Mm. Sean Carpenter does doing a Western. Yes, that um, is pretty Western. <laughs> um, but it's also, you know, you, you get those two movies that are, you know, both kind of calling back to something. But, you know, which one do we remember more from 1998? Uh, it's Blade, um, which, uh, you know. Well, there's does... also the James Woods of it all of he's not carpenters vampires he's not yeah james woods hasn't acquitted himself well shall we say in (laughs) in the 2020s um yeah i don't really feel a desire to go back and (laughs) rewatch that film (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i hear you um but it it, it does make me wonder and just to look to the future for a bit here um also the the future from blade not necessarily mm-hmm. future from where we are now but we'll get into that too you get steven norrington who you know comes out of this as you know kind of like you know he's ready to do some stuff he's ready to have a career he's he was in special effects he does this one small movie called death machine he gets blade and you know he's attached to all these projects as, as you know someone who would be coming out of a big success like this would um and then he goes on to do league of extraordinary gentlemen <laughs> Which not only kills his career, you know, <laughs> basically forces Sean Connery to go, okay, that's it. I'm done. See you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you have this one film which takes big swings, shakes up the source material, and is a success. And then you have, and I think it's because League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is so idiosyncratic to the taste of Alan Moore. It, it, it's hard to adapt. So, but but it's interesting that that was the trajectory, and and, th- and then that's kind of like the last we hear of Stephen Norrington, unless somebody catches up with him at a Comic Con or something. Um, and of course, MCU, there's a Blade movie coming mm-hmm. uh, sometime in the next couple of years. If you know the the actors and the writers ever get back to work, there's been a, a incredible difficulties trying to get this made. It was announced, I think it was 2019 at Comic Con that. Mahershala Ali came out and was like, hey, everybody, meet new, meet the new Blade. And everyone was really excited. But then you have Basim Tariq of, of Mogul Mowgli, uh, Come and Go. The, the film's now going to be made by Yen Dematrio, who did White Boy Rick. Um, big question about, like, what does this look like? You know, is it going to be like the MCUification of Blade? Is this going to be something different? Can it be as dark and as violent and as bloody and as gory and as uh campy and as over the top and fun as those wesley snipes blade movies i mean to to I mean, they, they've sort of set themselves up well because i i have a feeling that delroy lindo is going to be the whistler in it um it's not re- that hasn't been revealed to delroy lindo was playing mia goth is in it hmm. um and I don't, it's not been revealed who Mia Goth is playing, but you know, Mahershala Ali is a great actor and will yeah, yeah, bring a very is. different, he'll bring a very different vibe to it. But again, I just, I do worry though, yeah. having watched Morbius. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I forgot about Morbius. Which was incredibly not great. <laughs> like, I, I watched Morbius and I went, thank goodness I have another Venom movie to watch to cleanse my palate of that i want to watch venom to get that out of my system yeah yeah that's that's how bad morbius was um so i i mean i i worry that the current marvel 
um, the MCU doesn't really. Yeah. I don't know that they really know what to do. Um, and like nothing against the Marvel movies. I have certainly, you know, obviously I find some of the special effects and the fighting to be difficult to watch. Um, but generally, you know, they're, they're enjoyable movies. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say that since sort of the origin stories of most of the individual characters, that any of the movies have been um, important mm-hmm. or, uh, you know. Certainly not lately. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I worry that a new Blade movie from them will just be another, like, another one of everything else they're pumping out. Yeah, somebody's made the point, or a couple of different people made the point online, you know, that, um, you know, when after Shang-Chi ends, we don't see Shang-Chi again. After Sam Wilson formally becomes Captain America, we haven't seen Captain America in anything. And that was in 2021, although there is supposed to be a Captain America movie coming out next year or the year after. Um, you know, it, it just it just seems like we're just throwing stuff out there and 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 seeing what sticks and it, it's come to feel like blade is another one of those things um and and that's probably not great when you're talking about a character who while not necessarily important to the comics is definitely important to the culture um it, it feels a bit wrong that it, it, that blade has this blade that's coming feels a bit so disposable especially since we're like we're still talking about the original blade 25 years later um you know <laughs> we didn't stop and talk about steel you know <laughs> last year the 25th no. anniversary of steel or um batman and robin or spawn which were movies that came out the year before this but you know we are still talking about blade blade is still a thing we visit blade is still a thing we reference um Wesley Snipes is an actor, despite his, you know, personal difficulties, is is still one that people have a lot of affection for, and and this role is a very big part of that. Hmm. Yeah. I I still remember seeing um a, a cosplayer at Dragon Con as Blade, <laughs> and yeah. it was it. I mean, just the amount of work he put into his costume, honestly. I, you would almost think that it was Wesley Snipes in front of you, except that he was um, a fair bit shorter. But, like, <laughs> it looked so good. And, you know, obviously we're going to talk about race a fair bit with the next film, but mm-hmm. it is. It's really, it is a really big deal um, to have, you know, a black superhero. Yeah. Uh and in some ways, it didn't seem like it at the time, because mm-hmm. I think actually we were a little less, um, yeah, um, the the people fighting against uh, having having uh, equality and things weren't fighting so hard in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, so it didn't feel like as big of a deal. I think when it happened, also mm-hmm. because Wesley Snipes was such a huge star at the time too. Like he was. I mean, he was a superhero in a lot of regards. He just didn't wear an outfit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it didn't feel like as important of a thing, but it has become such an important thing because, as it turned out, it it wasn't the first of many. It kind of was like 
the first and done for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Well, Blade, as you could see, still beloved after all this time. Whether or not we'll be talking about they clone Tyrone 25 years in the future, we'll have to wait and see. For now, we're just going to talk about it uh, for the next half of the show, which is coming up next. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Shut your ass. Where the money at? Do you not remember getting lit the f up? You should be breathing through some tubes right now. Look, I don't have time. You took it. Fontaine, you took it. You took it. You came in here, you went to my haberdasheries, you passed up on my beige bitch, and you went outside and you pulled a 50 cent. And that was a clip from They Cloned Tyrone. It is a new film from writer and director Jewel Taylor. And it stars John Boyega, uh, Tayona Paris, Jamie Foxx, David Allen Greer, Jay Alphonse Nicholson, Eric Robinson Jr., and Kiefer Sutherland. Whipping out the Southern accent for the first time, I think, since A Few Good Men. Uh, I don't think he's used that one in a while, which is uh, which which suits me since he's playing the villain in this. Um. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's also kind of unusual because Kiefer Sutherland uh, was in a show on Paramount Plus called Rabbit Hole, which is about someone who's the victim of a conspiracy. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so now he's leading a conspiracy. Good now he's yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, quite the turnaround for Kiefer. Um, but other than Kiefer, who uh, Canadian treasure, Kiefer Sutherland. Um, what did you think of They Clone Tyrone? Uh, I really loved it. I thought it was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very excited about, um, you know, the the sort of new batch of um, kind of like black sci-fi-ish movies <laughs> we have coming out. Because mm-hmm. um, it is sort of one of those things where I, I think people just sort of think about science fiction as a very white thing um Mm -hmm. because for so long that's just what happens right you're just told that it's you know there were no black sci-fi authors they didn't tell those stories that didn't happen and uh 
that everybody believed that for a really long time. And now we're starting to get some really bizarre kind of um, very like by black people for black people sci-fi stories, which is great. Like, mm. sorry to bother you, the clone Tyrone, even <laughs> Nope, which I think is very sci-fi. Oh, it is. And it's, I think it's only getting, it gets better with each rewatch, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And <laughs> I, this movie, I think, is one that's going to get better with rewatch, too. Yeah. Because, um, of course, there's uh, a little bit of a, like, a mystery and a twist. So you're sort of watching, you're like, what is going on? And then finally, once you find out what's going on, okay, now we're on board. But to rewatch it, of course, now then you rewatch watch it knowing what's going on and start to see all the little ways that that was always there which is great um you know the ways that they were always being surveilled basically mm -hmm. i yeah yeah i'm i'm really i feel like i need to do like some deep dives into this film i've already i've queued up a bunch of like youtube videos of people talking about it um <laughs> yeah i love it and uh, great great performances um just like because the movie starts to very like very much like we're watching sort of a mm. um a you know urban sort of gang movie mm -hmm. and it plays out that way it's very straight and then things turn and everybody starts being a little bit funnier <laughs> yeah but while also playing the straight person like particularly um john boyega was always sort of the straight guy you know yeah. to everybody else being a little <laughs> hilarious <laughs> around him but yeah the, the the chemistry the way they played off each other in those more comedic scenes and then the way they played off each other equally well in the really like tense scenes it was yeah. I I really and then John Boyega playing against John Boyega was also <laughs> very very good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the acting and, and sort of the cast, especially the the main three Boyega, Paris, and Fox. Um, I I appreciated everything Taylor was trying to do in terms of the messaging and things, and I I think not to spoil anything but it, i i think sort of the the justification and the explanation for everything when we get to the big uh exposition dump at the end uh i i i find that a bit rough every sort of everything kind of leading up to that i enjoyed a lot but when when we get to the end and everybody's sitting down and like okay this is what the movie's about <laughs> um that that's where i was i felt kind of like it lost the thread i it's that's not necessarily a, a deal breaker for me because like sitting through the first you know hour hour and a half is is so great and it is because of those three with you know um boyega playing it straight fox hamming it up as this sort of <laughs> pimp relic from the <laughs> 70s um sequin purple everywhere uh and then you know uh Tayona paris who um could have gotten lost between the two of them the, the sort of like outsized personalities of of like the straight man and and the more uh extravagant man but you know she is so good at like 
finding where the punchline is in these conversations, like when she's going on about blockchain and <laughs> yes, <laughs> as they're like arguing over money um, is, is so great. Um, and, and, you know, her, the background and her story and how she's like obsessed with Nancy drew. And when they go to her house mm-hmm. and she has like this, this tall stack of not just like new editions of Nancy drew, like the classic hardcover, you know, passed down from grandmother to mother kind of Nancy Drew originals is just so perfect. It's just just such a great character detail for Yo-Yo. Well, I love her outfit when she when she decides she's going to start like Nancy Drewing this uh, this thing and she's got someone makes fun of her for dressing like Carmen Sandiego. Yeah, yeah, it's very much. She's got the like the fedora hat and the trench coat. I'm like, you just had this outfit like Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she's been waiting for the day mm-hmm. um but yeah there, there there's so much I, I i i agree with you about the rewatch because there's so much going on like there are entire like lines of dialogue where you're laughing at something and you're like missing other things um all the details that you're talking about too like just the and you notice this with films that are about, essentially about like being stuck or like whether it's like literally living the same day over again or like being so set in routine that you're almost it almost it feels like you're almost literally doing the same thing over again but then you start noticing the differences you notice the old man in front of the uh the bodega who's you know you think he's spouting nonsense but it turns out he's not spouting nonsense yeah he's actually paying attention yeah it is it is true so to sort of set it up a, a little bit um john boyega's character is a, a like a drug dealer mm-hmm. um he goes to see jamie fox who, who plays slick charles which is such a great name <laughs> yeah. to get his money he's owed money from him and um ends up that there's a bit of a like a gang war like a turf war going on because someone else is trying to sell drugs on his in his area mm-hmm. um, and he runs the guy over so then they come and shoot him mm-hmm. and then fade to black and then we restart the day again he wakes up mm-hmm. and he starts doing all those things again and like going through that i kept going okay so did he dream that is this a groundhog day thing where no matter how many times he dies he comes back and does the same day or like yeah. what what is going on and they did it so well to make that sort of like oh everything's just a little bit different this time so now I'm really confused. Like, <laughs> and then of course, then when he goes to see Slick Charles again, Slick Charles is like, "Yeah, you were shot yesterday. I don't know what's going on right now." Like, <laughs> yeah, when he answers the door that time, it's, the reaction is perfect. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Jamie Fox is great in this. Yeah, yeah. So great. I especially love the scene when they all three get into the elevator. And um, uh, Fontaine, John Boyega's character, has his gun already. And then Yo-Yo <laughs> gets into the... So uh, Teona Paris gets into the elevator, takes out her gun. And Slick Charles is like complaining about why did she have a gun and what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then just before the elevator doors open to whatever, they have no idea, he takes his gun out, which is this tiny little like gold-plated thing. Man with a golden gun, yeah. Perfect. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- th- there's so many little things like that. Um, 
also technically i i do want to shout out uh what was the cinematographer's name sean something sean 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 oh ken sang um i don't know where i got sean from um but ken sang who's like helm like he he's lens like big movies like deadpool and uh the, the last terminator movie so like he's done big things and this tyrone is comparatively small um but th- there's a real kind of grittiness to to how he films it i, I guess this sort of match the, the whole idea like this is the hood and um this is an impoverished area and so things are gritty so things look gritty but then there are also these scenes especially when they like clue into something where you get this purple light and something's yes. like b- bathed in purple it's in that scene where where uh fontaine gets shot um the, the the parking lot of the hotel is is bathed in this purple glow and then anytime you know a new clue pops up you see the purple that like when the first time they go to the elevator it's there's a purple light in the elevator for some reason um and it, it, it's just sort of this recurring thing um but it looks it looks so beautiful. It looks like it is the, the griminess just kind of like goes away. So like there's this like subtle clue in the way this is shot. It's like, oh no, like yeah, like they were just arguing about money a second ago, but pay attention. Yeah, uh, this, <laughs> something else is about to happen here. And I think in the, in the scene where they meet Kiefer Sutherland too, there's there's this like purple glow in the background, um, where you know he's kind of laid out. It's like okay, you, this is what's going on. You guys have stumbled into some things, and um of course he says it with a southern accent but uh (laughs) but it it is there's a really great visual language to it as well um and sometimes it's sometimes hard to balance those two or sometimes you get the one where you get like some like really smart dialogue and really smart characterization and the technical stuff goes by the wayside but this movie manages to do both at the same time which is to, to make something that's like really really fun to watch but also at the same time it's it's like it, it's it's almost hard to believe this is like jewel taylor's first movie although he's been around but um there's a level of technical excellence um whether that's the cinematography or like the soundtrack like yeah there's hip-hop in the soundtrack but it's also a lot of soul and r&b and funk um which gives it like this kind of sound of like a seventies black exploitation movie, which is like <laughs> when you get to like the characters yeah. and they're all kind of like these typical, you know, like uh, archetypal um, black exploitation. You have the drug dealer, you have the pimp, you have the hoe. It's it, it, it. There's so much going on every minute of this that um, it, it had to be hard to to keep a handle on everything. Um, but the movie never loses you, which is I, I find interesting. It, it it really takes you along considering all the big ideas it's playing with. Yeah. And what's interesting is I find um, it's sort of, it, it does have a bit of a slow burn. And so the beginning very much feels like a very different movie. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I stuck with it, but I kind of wonder, like, if people are just going into this looking for, like, a sci-fi thing, are they going to, like, check right out? Mm. Um, because mm-hmm. the first, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, at least, is, you know, that first day where it's, like, they very much set this up. Like, mm. you know, like I said, an urban urban sort of gang turf war. 
And not yeah, only it's, that, it's menace to society for the first half hour. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's very like it's it really doesn't handhold people through that cultural experience. It's just like yes, y- you're here. Yeah, like you're either going to stay with us or you're not. Yeah, um, and I think it says a lot, of course, because uh, part of the whole point of the movie is that that cultural experience is maybe you know is it something that black people share together that excludes people or is it something that's given to them from outside it really asks a lot of questions about like about free will and you know what what is actually mine you know as a black person what is mine right even right down to the the life like john boyega's character fontaine his life you know his his baby brother who we find out you know had had been killed by a cop as a young child and his mom like how much of that is actually his experience or is it just an archetype that we have all placed on black people yeah right like if you were to write your standard urban drug dealer you're gonna write fontaine that's you know and then people who actually are living that life it just makes such a such a like a joke out of their life right Mm -hmm. it's like this is actually my life but it's also an archetype that you guys just assume is what i'm living and you know why am i stuck in this I I think this film was really, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to spend more time <laughs> thinking about it and and reading more about it and well, watching it, it again. It's a statement on systemic racism because the, it's the inference is that uh, no racism is a literal system. <laughs> We've created a system. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That inference might you know be reflected in our real society (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's so funny too in in that you have you know you have fontaine you have slick charles like leaning into the stereotypes but then you have yo-yo who um when you meet her kind of is is leaning into those stereotypes and like very subtly through the dialogue and then when they go to her house and she has like this the stack of nancy Mm -hmm. drews and she's the one who's kind of like shoving them and, and poking them and prodding them to like really get to the bottom of this, where she's like subtly undermining all those stereotypes. Where it's like they have to say, like they have to call her a hoe to remind you that she's that that's kind of like the position she's been, I guess, sort of been put in Asked in this in, situation. Yeah. You know, and she has this speech later on about how. Um, all she wanted to do was get out of the Glen, this this area where they live, but you know she can't get out. Um, and, and you you know you have to ask yourself too, um, is that purposeful? Uh, I.e., in the in the, in the context of this movie, according to the experiment, she has to be there because she's one of the experimentees, or is this? a thing that is sort of reflexive of a lot of people in the real world where you do have big dreams that maybe leaving your home involve leaving your hometown, but then you never do for whatever reason that is, whether that's systemic, whether that's personal, whether that's about resources. Um, 
there's something very true to that um that you know makes uh, you know makes you think about your own life even if you you are not of the same ethnicity or race as the characters in the film but it also is is very telling is there a system that's sort of like key, or, you know you don't want to get yeah. too down too far down the rabbit hole but here we go yeah but <laughs> like everybody believes everybody believes that like with work and effort right you can achieve things right and we all want to believe that to be true which means we all have to believe that people who haven't achieved things it's because they didn't put the work and effort into right when that's really just not the case it actually is not true it's not true for any of us that -hmm. just putting a little bit of work and effort in means that we can achieve whatever we want Mm -hmm. it's it's part of it sure Mm -hmm. but it's about so much more than that it's about the advantages that we're all you know the other the other things that we have no control over right and yeah, Yo-Yo had no control over her living in the Glen and whether or not she would get to go, you know, be a PI or go to Memphis and go <laughs> to college. <laughs> and then you have this great scene where, you know, Kiefer's like sort of like mocking her. It's like, you know, this is some Pulitzer Prize winning stuff you have here. And, <laughs> um, you know, th- this kind of combination of pride, but also just being a jerk. Um Mm-hmm. In in the last minute here, I, I do want to shout out uh, Attack the Block, which was John Boyega's big break. And I, it, it, although they're two entirely different films, they just happen to both star John Boyega and be like sci-fi adjacent. But uh, that also had, was a film that had a lot to say about, um, you know, pr- being in a neighborhood that's not so great and, and wanting to protect your home, even if it's not the greatest home in the world and n- not wanting to be sort of like... Uh, a victim of the oppressor and in in the case of attack the block that was an alien invasion but um i think there are a lot of tendrils here you mentioned story to bother you as well which is a Mm -hmm. a great one i I thought a lot about get out obviously um clockwork orange Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) is another one um invasion of the body snatchers i it's if, if any of those films are sort of appealing i think that's um great sort of groundwork for the clone tyrone uh if if anybody's interested and uh because it's on netflix it's easy to find but because it's on netflix it gets easily buried by algorithms so yes my algorithm did not show me this movie at all i have to search it every time and i think that there's a real problem with that (laughs) yeah absolutely um so support they clone tyrone um so they might clone Tyrone again. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to leave it there. We're 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 working out the the kinks since we're back from summer vacation. Anyway, uh, that's it for this week's show. If you would like to listen to our show again, you can download it every Friday from our website and creditsradioshow.com. You can also get it at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast apps such as Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, you can get the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just search for End Credits on CFRU in Spotify. You can also stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I'll be back here Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics and Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. I can also be found on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my News and Politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. Candice, where can people find you out there on the internet? 
Uh, you can find me everywhere on the internet at sin48, C-I-N-N-4-8. Um, check in on Letterboxd, where I'm, uh, you know, keeping track of the hundred horror movies I'm trying to watch before Halloween. So uh, I'm at about uh, movie 20 or so right now. So see if <laughs> let's see if I do it. <laughs> and then harass her when she doesn't do it. Exactly. Make, make, make her feel ashamed for being a failure. Or just send me some some movies to watch help me out <laughs> <laughs> all right and uh stay tuned for more great programming here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio we shall return next wednesday at 3 p.m for another end credits and we will see you then